0: Hello, everyone. I am Chris Hyams, the CEO of Indeed, and welcome to the next installment of Here to Help. This is our look at how Indeed has been navigating the global impact of COVID-19. Today is February 11th. We are on day 345 of global work from home. At Indeed, our mission is to help people get jobs, and this is what gets us out of bed in the morning. It's what keeps us up at night. And every day, in that work, we see the power that one job can have on a person, on their family, and on their community. And this month, while we're celebrating Black History Month, we are very proud today to announce Rising Voices, which is a new initiative in partnership with Lena Waith and Hillman Grad Productions. Lena is one of the most powerful voices in the film industry and Hillman grad is committed to creating opportunity for underrepresented filmmakers and rising voices will invest in and empower the next generation of black indigenous and people of color filmmakers and will bring new voices to this story of the meaning of work. So today I am delighted to be joined by Rishi Rajani, who is the president of Hellman Grad Productions, which he co-founded with Lena Waith. Rishi, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me.
1: That, uh, that day 345 hit me hard. I didn't know that, that, was, the, uh, <laughs> that was exactly where we were at.
0: Yeah, it's it's sobering. We are we're coming up on on lapping this one here and uh well we'll we'll have some opportunity to talk about um this last year and and what it's meant. Uh but I we always start these conversations with just a check-in. So, tell us how are you doing today? Yeah. Um, you know, I think like
1: I would say that today I'm feeling uh cautiously optimistic <laughs> about things. Um, and also one of the things that I think I've been you know, feeling a lot during the pandemic as we navigate the difficulties of shooting film and TV shows during COVID, and you know, you know, feeling like you know disconnected from colleagues because we're out of the office and not feeling like we're able to do all the things we wanted to do. I have also, I think, been feeling a certain sense of gratitude because I'm in a place where I get to keep making content I really believe in. Uh, you know, it feels like there's a real energy and drive for the sorts of material that lena and i are really pushing and the fact that that has um only ramped up i think over the last year 345 days is um really great and also knowing that this pandemic's been really tough on a lot of people and so uh, to be sort of in in the privileged position of getting to make art and getting to support storytellers is You know, I do feel very grateful for it. And, you know, and and Fauci this morning said that, uh, you know, most of the country could get vaccinated by the end of April, which is incredibly exciting because it feels like we're the light at the end of the tunnel. So I guess those are the things I'm feeling today.
0: Fantastic. Well, um, I want to just give a little background to folks about what it is that that we're launching today. And, you know, I'll, I'll just super briefly from the Indeed side. For us, I, I mentioned up front that we see through our mission and through our work of helping people get jobs, the power that a job can have in a person's life and, and how much change it can bring to to that person and to their family and to, and to their community. We also see very clearly that um, talent is universal, but opportunity is not. And there are huge bias and barriers in the hiring process And the film industry is not only no different, in some cases it's even harder where so much of uh, being able to be successful there requires knowing someone and getting a hand up. So we wanted to do something where we could bring new voices, underrepresented voices, to telling the story of the meaning of work and when we first met up with you to sort of pitch this idea, you had a fully formed idea already of something you and Lena have been wanting to do. So why don't you just uh, tell a little bit of, of uh, the story of, of what Rising Voices is and, and what it means to, to you and Helmand Grad. Totally.
1: Well, I, I, as you can imagine, you know, our, our inbox and, and, and specifically Lena's DMs get flooded with people asking, you know, how do I become a director? Like, I want to direct, you know, this is what I want to do. And and Lena's amazing in that she probably answers, you know, more of those DMs than she needs to or should. But, um, you know, it's, it's just incredibly difficult to break in as a director in the film and television space. And I say even more than, you know, writing or acting in some ways, because you need to have something to show. You need to have a sample of your work. You need to have something that you've directed for anyone to take you seriously. And so... It's all honestly been like kind of a struggle for, for Liam and I because to be able to make something, to make something worthwhile, you also need access to resources and money. And um, you know even like sort of like the technical know-how of what production looks like and who you need to hire. And then even when you have the money and you have sort of like the access to just like the bare minimum resources, there's still, I think, without guidance and mentorship, you might, you know, end up hiring the wrong person, or, or, you know, paying too much for a permit, or, you know, really kind of not being able to get the most out of your final product. And so, one of the things that Lena and I have been really excited to do, and and this is why I think it was so like serendipitous and amazing that you came to us with this opportunity, is that we really desperately wanted to start it, some version of a directorial mentorship program where we actually get to take people who, you know who have a range of experiences. Some people who maybe have directed a short before some people who maybe just like, really it's been, you know, a one person camera team as they, you know, take footage of their own life and give them the opportunity in the space to actually create something that could get them recognized in the Hollywood space and actually get them into the system as someone worth, um, you know, potentially giving more to and giving an episode of television to, or giving their first feature film to. And Lena and I have, have. You know, we love short films because we've hired so many people off of short films we um on, on boomerang season 1 five of our directors uh out of the six were all coming off of short films we're all given their first episode of tv to direct um you know we we're, we're, we're making a feature film with this incredibly talented young woman uh av rockwell um over the summer and, and the reason that we're doing this cuz we saw her short film Feathers which was stunning and beautiful and um, I think actually played at Tribeca and Sundance and a few other places which attracted our attention so short film is a really good I think calling card for a young director in the business to be to be taken seriously and for the most part the unfortunate aspect of it is I think the people that have the the money access resources to uh make short films are generally in fairly privileged positions and have access points to the business. And so they're not really the people that need, um, you know, a place like Helmand grad, a place like indeed to support them. So what this program is, is it's actually creating that access point. And so, um, you know, what we're going to do is we're going to do an open call to, to filmmakers all over the United States Give them the opportunity to submit a 10-page script of a short film that they are dying to shoot. And we're going to read all those. And um, we're going to, you know, through kind of a, looking at sort of the originality of the piece, like the resonant themes of it, um, the, the specificity of the work, the quality of <clears throat> the any kind of directing sample they're able to share. And we're going to select 10 of those filmmakers and we're going to give them the chance to to make a movie, uh, which is huge. And so, and not only are we – it's not like we're uh, you know giving them the cash and saying come back with a product. It's We're actually going to be mentoring them through the process because um, that's also incredibly important to us. Because I think a lot of sort of the programs – and I guess Lena and I's critique of diversity programs in Hollywood is a lot of the times they just – you know, give someone a stipend for a year, give someone mentorship for a year, and don't really provide a platform, a launching pad for them. And so what I think we're going to be doing with this program is one, be guiding filmmakers along the way and helping them avoid the, fit, the pitfalls of making your first project. Um, and then, you know, also giving them an opportunity to either go on and become, you know, one of the filmmaker in residences for Indeed or and introduce them to sort of, you know, talent, talent managers and agents. And, you know, a dream scenario would be to hire some of these directors in some of our shows or to do a first feature with one of them to make sure that they're actually getting into the business in a very real way. And so, I mean, the fact that, you know, indeed, and and Chris, that, that you're, you've been so sort of like, you know, generous in both like the scope of the access and the resources and, hundred thousand dollars per movie is not a, a bad short film budget in any way, shape or form. I think it's exciting because I think in, in the combination of sort of the reach that you have and the, um you know, the, the resources that you're giving plus kind of, I think our approach to mentorship and um you know, the work that we've been doing in the creative space, I think it creates an incredibly great partnership for us to be able to actually launch careers in a very real and tangible way.
0: I think that this is a, uh you know, something that we found pretty early on that we we shared a lot in terms of our mission and our vision and what we're trying to do. And you know, where we're coming at it is that we actually want to produce some great work to help tell the story of of the meaning of work and that um, our experience is that the best ideas are not our own. And so creating an opportunity for a number of different people. And so the just the mechanics of the program for anyone that's that's listening here and might be interested. So um, as Rishi said, we're going to have an open call uh, for people to submit uh, a short screenplay. We're going to select 10 people and we're putting a million dollars, so $100,000 budget to each of the 10 filmmakers to produce this short film. Um, and for clarity, you know, we've talked about this. We're not doing this because we think that this is, you know, a, a good thing to do. We're doing it because we think we're it's actually going to produce great work and it's going to be better at telling this story of what work means, then we could easily spend a million dollars on on a TV ad, um, and and get a lot less out of it than ten rich and distinct and I would imagine pretty personal stories coming from uh, a diverse set of uh, of ideas and and new voices. But the other thing that we really love is that you know how the idea shaped after we started working with you of of not just doing a lot of little things, but really the amount of time and effort that's going to go into producing these, these 10 films and, and the the mentorship and, and production support that you're, you're offering, we're creating jobs, which obviously we like, not just for 10 people, but for an entire crew, for people behind the camera, in front of the camera and creating um, experience that Will be sustainable, so it's also not just a one shot here's a check, go do something, but that um we really hope and so I, I guess I'd love to hear just a little bit from you what what do you think success would look like from you how How would you and Lena look back on this and say this this really a- achieved everything that we we set out to to try to do here totally
1: and, and I'd also say uh you know I super appreciate you being game when we're like more money less filmmakers like let's get really into the nitty-gritty of this and being game to work with us on that because i think that's also like you know it is really important to sort of for us to make sure that we're, we're giving a lot of people the opportunity but also doing it incredibly intentionally and knowing that we can actually you know have success in it i think success for us is you know obviously creating 10 distinct beautiful pieces of art but I think it also extends beyond that when we look at the filmmakers that come out of the program and in, in their careers um, after coming out of the program and which of those filmmakers get signed, you know, which of those filmmakers is able to to get an episode of TV to direct, which of the filmmakers is able to make their first um, feature, which films, and which of those filmmakers are able to um, you know, just break into the system in a very real way, and I think obviously that's going to be partially based on the quality of the films and partially based on the tenacity of the filmmakers. But if we can really come into this program having felt like we delivered an opportunity for these filmmakers to break into the business in a very real way, I mean, that's sort of, I think, the most incredible form of success. And I think for for all of us, the goal is going to be to continue guiding them in in that process and and making sure that we can do everything on our end to, to the films come out looking... Stunning.
0: So So the the focus in terms of the the talent that we're looking for, there's lots of underrepresented talent. And you you went through a a number of examples. We're targeting specifically BIPOC filmmakers. And one of the things um, that that we think is interesting, I'd love to hear your thoughts is is what do you think is is unique about the BIPOC perspective when it comes to the meaning of work?
1: Oh man. And I feel like it, like BIPOC also encompasses so many different, you know, perspectives and types of people, but I think there has been a tendency, you know, in this country, even as, you know, things seemingly start to get more equal, there's still not a level of equality when it comes to access to work and access to jobs um, and access to opportunity. And, um, You know, I think like we talk a lot about sort of leveling the playing field and providing perspective, but I think a lot of times there's like also like a lack of just general access. Like I didn't think I was, I didn't know what the film business was coming up. I didn't know anyone in it. I didn't have any touch points there. I didn't have an uncle that worked at CAA. And um, I think for a lot of the BIPOC community, you're having this generation of people um, who are interested in getting into you know, a variety of different fields that just truly don't have, um, the ability to do so in the same way that maybe white counterparts would. And so I think for us, when we think about the, the power of work, there's also, I think a little bit of this, um, tendency. And I think I've definitely felt it personally in Hollywood too, where a lot of times in the past, there was one seat at the table for a person of color. Um, and it almost created this incredibly like competitive dynamic where you're almost competing against other people of color for that one slot of the table. And I think in coming into um, you know, 2020, 2021, as people start to think a lot more about systemic racism and the systems that have been really kind of holding people back, there's gotta be a sense of um, big companies and organizations and systems understanding all of their inherent biases and racism that have created workplaces that are maybe not as diverse as they could be or inclusive as they could be. And so I'm really excited about these filmmakers being able to come in and tell very personal stories and relationships with with work and what it's meant to them and getting jobs and I think that it's going to be kind of eye-opening for a lot of people too in when you actually contextualize that versus what we think is typical or you know or what people think is racist or not racist or you know even sort of like i think like coming into you know a world where we've actually started to have real conversations about our criminal justice system and, and conversations about um you know public education and systems of a, a, you know what happens to communities of color versus communities not of color like there's a lot of work to be done and um you know i think what's great about art is it's there's a way to explore really resonant themes and poignant moments that are you know, say but do it in a way that can feel entertaining or artful or elegant that doesn't feel so in your face and and there's also a level of sort of like actually being able to present your own Perspective and opinion and point of view that people could actually watch some of these. I, I love the idea of people being able to w- watch some of these short films and coming away actually thinking a little bit differently about the world or at least feeling like they got a perspective they don't normally get on an everyday basis. And I think that's just the power of art overall. Um, I think for me, so in so many ways, it was an introduction to a world that I didn't know, and that's what books were, and that's what movies were, and, and that's what kind of helped shape who I am as a person. I think we can keep pushing that envelope as well in a very, very real way. And I love you know, these short films doing that as well. And I think as we go through the development process, we're gonna push the filmmakers to really be, be nuanced and hypercritical and not do anything that feels um, ordinary.
0: Tell us a little bit about your journey into the entertainment industry and how you started working with Lena Waithe. Totally,
1: so I guess to, to take it right back from the beginning, uh, I was born in London, England. Um, my parents were actually both born in Africa and my family sort of generationally is of the demographic of South Asians of Indians that went India to East Africa, to the UK, and eventually to the US. So have family all over the world but um you know i i never really knew that i wanted to get into the film and tv space i wasn't one of those people that was like you know movie obsessed growing up and being like i always i always knew i wanted to be a producer i think it was something that i sort of fell into because of a love of storytelling Way Like, I was definitely the kid that, you know, it skipped recess and hung out in the library and read books, and, and that was sort of, like, my own version of escapism. Um, But, you know, I ended up going to NYU for school, but I was actually hell-bent to becoming an investment banker, because for some reason I had this 30-year plan when I was 18 years old that I'm going to go to Wall Street, I'm going to go make a crazy amount of money, and then I'm going to be able to finance art and art of all kinds. Uh, which is a really ridiculous thing for an 18-year-old kid to say uh, who didn't know anything about the finance system or how much I would dislike the investment banking world. And so very quickly realized that that was not actually what I wanted to do and was sort of trying to figure out my next path. And um, I think like there was part of me that was like, oh, do I go into the publishing industry? Do I go into the film industry? I think people told me there was a lot more opportunity to tell more stories in a not dying industry. <laughs> so I think the, the film industry is sort of the thing that I, I sort of get fixated on. And I think, I'm. Um, I also might think my world opened up a little bit when I moved to New York and felt like I was exposed to a lot more different kinds of people, a lot more perspectives. And it was like a sort of really exciting time in my life in terms of being able to explore what I wanted to do. So, uh, you know, I ended up working a bunch of weird odd jobs in New York to try and break in the film industry. I was a receptionist slash intern for Morgan Spurlock's company. <laughs> this is after Supersize Me. Um, I answered a Craigslist ad to go work for an off-Broadway show uh, and help them sell the film rights to the show, which I don't know is the a, a job that you hire a nineteen-year-old kid to do. But um, you know, <laughs> was able to. Sort of getting there and sat backstage calling agents and managers, trying to pitch them on this off-Broadway show. Uh, Spoiler alert, I did not succeed in that endeavor. But um, it was also like a really good sort of like moment for me to realize, oh, like this is the sort of system. There are agents, there are managers. You need to be somewhat legitimate to get a call back um, from any of these people. And so, you know, continuing my foray into strange and eccentric things, I picked up a real estate license, and started to sling apartments on the weekend to you know continue to make money as I was venturing down the the Hollywood path. Uh, but uh, eventually, all of these sort of uh, you know odds and ends jobs resulted in me getting an internship with Twentieth Century Fox, which was really really important as it was I think my first I'd say like you know foray into the studio space and gaining a little bit of a quote unquote legitimacy as I was making my way into the Hollywood ecosystem. Um, And that particular arena at 20th Century Fox was booked to film adaptation. And so I worked with them when they optioned the rights, um, you know, and generally when they're optioning rights, it's pre-publication. But for Gone Girl for The Martian, I got to see a lot of those films, you know, and, and getting to see kind of the really cool bidding wars and how studios get excited about things and understanding how the system of producers works. And it, to me, I was like, oh, wow, this is this is what I want to do. And also to be able to find a space that was so specifically for with, with my love of, of reading and narrative and books and to be able to have that connective tissue to the film business was really, really cool. Um, and so, you know, specifically that division was a book scouting division, which meant that they weren't actually involved in the production of the films and tv shows and so i i was sort of like a a bit naive about how that all worked and i was like great no when do we get to go make it And they're like oh we don't go make it you know the producers go make it i was like well i want to go do that job i want i want to go make the movies and so they were incredible um there's a guy named drew reed and and chris goldberg and sandra bauman that ran that department and um they were like, if you want to be a producer, you got to go to L.A. <laughs> and so that was my, my next step. And And they were incredible in that, you know, that first job for me was I, I kind of feel like in so many ways I owe everything that I have in the business now to, to those group of people believing me. And, and they set me up with interviews at all the big talent agencies in Hollywood um, they sent me up with general meetings with a lot of executives that I still work with to this day, uh, and so it was really cool. And that was like you know I was when I came out to LA and it was pre Uber and Lyft, and so I literally I rode the bus around to these interviews, and uh, I was in a suit, and everyone made fun of me because no one I guess wears suits in Hollywood. Um, but got my first job uh, in the mailroom at UTA, and. Uh, Mailroom is a crazy place to start Um, I wasn't in there for an extraordinarily long period of time But it was It it was my grad school You know, in a way uh, For the film business I ended up working for a woman named Dana Spector And I became her assistant And it was great because Again, it was that connective tissue She was a a book-to-film and book-to-TV agent And so I was able to go in And leverage everything I had learned from Fox To be able to get on her desk pretty quickly and you know did all manner of assistant things and rolling calls and scheduling and ending up in the extremely unfortunate position of thinking i lost my boss's cat um but you know made it through and and, and, you know and there was a moment there where i was like well do i do i be a a book agent i love working with authors i love helping them you know get their work out and, and produced and adapted and there's still something about producing for me that I really wanted to aspire towards. And so um, I left, I, I moved with her to a company called Paradigm. I left Paradigm and went to a new company called, called Studio 8 that was started by Jeff Robinov, who's the former chairman of Warner Brothers. I was with them for four years and really was able to cut my teeth as an executive. It was where I got the bump up to get work on the um, feature side for a while. And then right at the end of my time there, there's a woman named Catherine Pope who was head of the television division, and she had really, you know, I think seen something in me, seen something in my taste, and when she left to go start Charter Cable's television division, um, you know, she told Jeff that that I should take over the TV projects she was leaving behind, uh, which was incredible, but also a, throwing me into a world I had No idea about it. I was like, oh my god, what's a showrunner? How do you staff up a room? Like, what's how do you pitch, you know, TV ideas? And what I realized is that I think for the stories that I was pursuing, um, that may have felt a little more niche for big budget Hollywood blockbusters, you know, TV was a really exciting place. I mean, the first project that I sold was a story about a a gay luchador on the border of of mexico and the u.s filled with magical realism and incredibly compelling characters and which would have never really flown as a film at studio eight at the time and so as i was sort of progressing i think i was really also developing my taste and my sense of of, a place in it i think hollywood can be a a world where you can sometimes get caught up in the bullshit and you know feel especially as sort of like a young brown kid coming in that there was a desire to like sort of integrate into this you know older white guy corporate culture and I think there were times where I got really frustrated with sorts of artists that I wanted to advocate for for sort of movies that I thought were important because I guess a lot of people that were at the top of the studios at the time didn't think they were as important as I did and so Um, You know, I met Lena when we actually, I had optioned, uh, and it was part of optioning a graphic novel at Studio 8 that was called Black. It was basically set in a world which only black people have superpowers, which was um, a really, really cool project at the time. And Lena had just won her Emmy, and we'd sent it to her for consideration, and uh, she loved it and she came on board and developed that a take and that ultimately didn't end up moving forward, but it was a really good sort of first connection point. I was like, you know, at the time I had, because I had seen her and obviously in Master of None, read her work for a long time, was very like, oh my God, this woman is incredible. Uh, I did not anticipate at that moment that we would become, uh, producing partners, but, um, you know, as, as I was sort of figuring out my next step in the business and, and what I wanted to do and what I wanted to accomplish. I, I was sort of shying away, I think, from going back into the studio system. And there was, um, you know, really the, the opportunity to, to interview for, for the position at Helmigrad I came across my desk a few months later. And uh, Lena's manager at the time, Andrew Poles called me and said, you know, Lena's trying to start a production company. You're interested in joining her. In that?" I was like, of course, like, where do I sign up? And so Lee and I went and had breakfast and, uh, you know, at, at Little Mill Coffee in Silver Lake. And I don't think I've ever prepped for an interview quite so hard. I, I came in with, um, you know, it, I actually had pulled out like a, a manila folder and it was like putting pieces of paper all across this table. And I was like, you know, here are the artists that I think you should be working with. Here are the pieces of intellectual property that are worth Picking up, here would be my plan for year one, you know, and I think she probably thought I was a crazy person. Uh, but I think liked the ambition and, and, and like the spirit and like the hustle. And Lena is a very decisive person. And so literally by that night, she was like, you know, you're it. You're the person. And it was really cool because um, I think in that first conversation, we really landed on this theme and mantra, protest art. And it was something that she and I both connected with and resonated with deeply, which is that if we have a platform and an opportunity to put content out in the world, then, you know, we need to have the responsibility of putting out content that we really believe in, and content that pushes the culture forward in some way, shape, or form. And, um, you know, it doesn't mean for us that we're trying to make, you know, in your face, on the nose, medicine, like, you know, after school specials it's more i think for us that we can make content that's incredibly entertaining that also you know happens to present a point of view or perspective or a character that doesn't normally get the time on screen and that's become a sort of fundamental philosophy for us all across helmingrad one of the other things that lena said that i loved so much during that meeting was um she one i always knew i was going to win an emmy Which is amazing because it's so Lena and so great. Uh, But two, uh, she said, you know, I didn't necessarily think I was going to win an Emmy this early in my career. And so I, you want to be earning that award every single day by bringing other people up with me. So I think for us, it's not just the content that we're putting onto the screen, it's also who's in front of the camera, who's behind the camera, who's in the writer's room. Because that also, at the time, and even now, it's it's still a fight to make that um, in any way, shape, or form inclusive. And for us, it's not even it's not just racial diversity; it's not just sexual diversity, it's geographic diversity, it's financial diversity, it's diversity of disabilities, it's age diversity. It's it's really anyone who hasn't been given a, a space. Like that's what Helmandgrad is, and we want to create develop that space. Um, and so, you know, I've been with Lena now for a little over two and a half years, which also feels like way longer than it is. And we've been able to make a lot of really incredible stuff, and but what I most appreciate about it is, you know, you look at Boomerang or Twenties or Queen and Slim or the Forty Year Old Version or even the Shy, which is going into its fourth season and which just started shooting again this week. It's that consistency of perspective that consistency of protest art you know being able to have brown characters where it's not all about them being brown you know queer characters where they're not struggling with their sexuality instead of hopes and dreams of making it as artists and filmmakers and have crushes and love lives and ambitions like that's what we want to do and that's what we resonate with and i think when we look for material it's always like is this a a perspective and point of view that we haven't seen before, but it's also one that we're going to feel really proud of putting on the screen. Is it one that we feel that we can spend the next three to five years of our life fighting for every single day? And those are really the tenets of, of, of what we do. We have a similar philosophy about that. And, and so we're just super excited about this as kind of the next step in really creating access points for for artists
0: well um as our uh, our time is coming to a, a close i I'd love to to sort of wrap up looking a little bit to to the future and uh really when we look at these you know last 345 days and um the the industry that you're in has been deeply affected like like so many others what what do you um see as as some of the changes that will be not just temporary adaptations to being in the middle of a pandemic but What what will what we've been through mean for the future of entertainment um, for for Hillman grad and and how has your perspective changed um, permanently?
1: Totally. Um, Well, there's no movie theaters anymore and it's all streaming, which is, you know, in itself, like a, a sort of just from a like macro perspective. I don't know that the movie theater experience is ever going to go away, but it's been really crazy to see how quickly the industry has shifted to a model that's not reliant on what i think is like one of the most iconic american institutions which is <clears throat> movies in the movie theater um and but i think there's also been a an awareness raise through the black lives matter movement through a lot of the protests that happened last year even talking about um you know uh you know whether it's like sort of abolishment of the police or whether it's um you know really sort of um you know moving away from like the current prison system i think a lot of people including myself in a lot of ways like felt like going into 2020 i was like a woke individual and i knew things and i read the new york times (laughs) and all that good stuff but feeling like as a lot of this, this stuff came to the forefront and some of the ugliness in the country, I think came to the forefront um, realizing that, that a lot of our systems really need to be reconstructed and that exists, I think on a governmental level, but I think it also exists in Hollywood. And I think Hollywood has taken a very critical look at the amount of um, executives who are in green light positions that are, are, you know, women and people of color and, it's not that many. It's like the, the vast majority of the heads of of all the television networks and TV studios are still um, older white men. And that what that leads to, I think, is one very specific perspective. And I think there's, one, been a shift in sort of people realizing that they need to diversify the decision makers in Hollywood. Um, but, two, I think that there is a realization that the sort of age-old opinion that content for people that have traditionally been othered doesn't make money has gone out the window i think whether you look at black panther whether you look at crazy rich asians um you know it's a i think we've sort of been approving that this is no longer the case and that you know movies of people of color can't work internationally was always a big one i heard coming up in the business and i think we've proven that that's not the case either and in fact, there happen to be a lot of people of color that live internationally. Um, and that, you know, it's a... And so I think that you're, you're starting to see some of these shifts in the Hollywood um, from, a, from a sort of like, this is what a blockbuster is, this is who can star in a movie, this is what is valuable. People are realizing that that's not actually the case as much. Um, and maybe it was never the case. Maybe it was just a, a system that was kind of put in place to continue to keep people down. But at least now we know that there's a level of profitability, there's a desire for content um, that feels different than everything we've seen before. And to be able to get to that place, we need some of the decision makers to look a little bit more inclusive and to just you know have more voices in there that reflect these different perspectives. And so despite, I think, us trying to figure out the, um, the system of movie theaters and how we get back into that, I am really excited for... Hollywood to continue to make this push and to grow into more socially aware uh, content and realizing that content can also be incredibly entertaining and really fun to watch. So it's got its good and it's bad.
0: Fantastic. Well, I could keep talking for a very long time with you, but uh, we are uh, out of time. I know you need to catch a plane. Um, Rishi, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today, but thank you so much for this opportunity to to partner together. Uh, I can't tell you how excited we are to to bring this program to life Um, for folks who will be watching this when uh, when this is going out the program will be actually officially launched so you can go to the helmingrad website and uh, and read about the program and uh, submissions are open through the end of february so uh, please come and um, and share your story with us and uh, we're so excited to to see what comes of this Amazing.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. We're we're incredibly, incredibly excited and yeah, can't wait to start reading these scripts.